Welcome to this episode of the We Travel There podcast. We're in Bath, UK with my good friend AJ Saunders of AJSDigitalGroup.com. AJ was born in Bath and loves how it's known as the original well-being destination. With historic buildings, great music venues, and a range of festivals every year, there's always something new to discover. In this episode, we talk about the incredible architecture of the Royal Crescent, exploring the Jane Austen Museum, and visiting one of the many Roman bathhouses. About these three amazing experiences and so much more. If you know someone that wants to visit the UK, I'd love it if you shared this episode with them. The show notes will be available at wetravelthere.com forward slash bath. Now let's get started. The We Travel There podcast helps you travel like a local by interviewing guests from around the world to uncover the hidden gems of their city by finding out the best things to do, eat, drink, and see from a local's point of view. Using airline miles and hotel points makes travel affordable, but keeping track of all those loyalty programs can be a challenge. That's why I use AwardWall to track my miles and points balances, reservations, and special goodies like free hotel night certificates and airline companion passes. Having everything in one easy-to-use dashboard helps ensure that I don't lose any rewards and makes logging into my accounts super easy. Go to wetravelthere.com forward slash AwardWallet to start your free account. Hey, AJ, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So it's such a great pleasure to have you back on the show. We had such a great time last time talking about Monaco. And today we're going to talk about your hometown of Bath in the UK. And I actually visited Bath a few years ago when I was on a London trip. It was kind of like a little stopover on the way to Stonehenge. And I feel bad. I didn't really know anything about the city. And now that I've been doing a little bit of research for this episode, there's so much to do there. And I can't wait to learn all about it from you. Of course, yeah. No, it's great to be back, and yeah, I'm so I'm super excited to talk about Bath. It's gonna be great. So you were you were born here in Bath, and you've lived there pretty much all your life, right? Yeah, so I'm mid thirties, and I spent about five years living in London. But other than that, pretty much my entire time has been here. Right on. And so, if you had to describe the, the city or the people of Bath in just a couple of words, how would you do that? Oh, that's a good question. So I would say historic, culture, and lively. Yeah, and one thing I that in kind of researching the, the history of it, I didn't understand that because obviously it's kind of a, a weird word of just bath. It's like I guess it's based on the Romans that were at one point kind of occupying the area, right? And they created like the Roman baths. I believe it was the second century. The Romans discovered as a hot hot spring underneath Bath, and they they named well what was the settlement at that point probably a couple of huts Aquasulis, which then translates into English to bath and so that's how it kind of transpired and then since then the romans built quite a large bath and quite a large kind of establishment here but it wasn't until the 18th century when the georgians came along that they really started to modernize and to to build it into what we know today so actually the the roman bath is a very small part of the actual city and it was only i think rediscovered in the 18th and 19th century and so a lot of what you see of the modern day bath is actually Georgian. So from the 18th kind of century. And then you've got this smidgen of Roman bath in the center, which dates back to, I think like the third century AD. So yeah, we've been here, here a couple of years, basically. <laughs> That's one thing I love whenever I visit Europe is just the history is, is so fascinating. And I, I did I had no idea. I knew the Roman empire and it spread quite large throughout that area, but I had no idea that they came all the way to the UK. All right. So if, if people are coming to, to visit Bath, you know, I flew into London. If somebody else is going to come there, would they fly into London and do like what I did, take a take a bus or something out there? Or is there an airport that's close by? 
So London is convenient for for a lot of you Americans, I think. And then, yeah, you can just get a train or a bus. So there's National Express, which I think is about like 15 pounds. So that's $20 each way from Heathrow. That takes, I think, about three hours down to Bath, maybe like two and a half, three hours. If you're flying from New York, I think you can fly to Bristol Airport, which is the closest airport to Bath. And Bristol Airport also does quite a lot of international to France, Germany, etc., Spain. Yeah, and then there's lots of buses from and lots of transport options either into the centre of Bristol, which then can get like a 10-minute a train to Bath, or you can get a bus that goes directly from Bristol Airport all the way into the centre of Bath. So you have plenty of options. Okay, so you, you mentioned a lot of like trains and buses, those types of things. Does that mean that you would recommend or not recommend if, if somebody gets a car when they're, when they're coming out of a visit? Bath is notoriously bad for parking. Just like we talked about with Monaco, right? So Bath, there's a couple of car parks, so there's adequate parking, but I think it's fairly expensive unless it's like nighttime. So unless you kind of know where you want to park and know how to play that game, because I think they charge by like the hour or two hours, you probably want to, if you're going to hire a car, be strategic with how you use your time. Or I would just try and, you know, stay at say, like a guest house where they've got parking, so try and find somewhere you can park and walk into town. So if we do something like that, where we park at wherever we're staying, or uh, we take a bus or train, as we're walking around, like during my visit, I was only there for like an hour or two. Uh, so I didn't really get a, a, a major feel for the city, but I did see a couple of the highlights. Is it primarily a walking city then, or are there buses or other types of transportation options around? What's really, really great about Bath is the city center has a nice percent of everything that's going on. So you have the Royal Crescent, which is, you know, 10, 15 minute walk. The circus is a 10-minute walk and joins onto the Crescent. And that's at the top of town. Towards the bottom of town, you have like the, the train station, the bus station, the abbey, that kind of thing. So it's all walkable within 10, 15 minutes. And it's actually really easy to walk around. And they've the local council over the last kind of five, 10 years have tried to pedestrianize or make it pedestrian-friendlier, if that makes sense. So, like, the lower half of Bath near the train station and a big concert hall slash church, which is called The Forum, a lot of that area is pedestrianised and has been for probably, like, 30 or 40 years. And that has a lot of shops and restaurants. You've got, you know, everything from, you know, clothes shops, Krispy Kremes, McDonald's, those kind of things. Yeah, the really, truly authentic local fare of McDonald's and Krispy Kremes, right? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Where got them from? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if, if people are planning a trip to Bath, uh, or just the UK in general, what's the weather like throughout the year? And then are there certain festivals or other events that happen throughout the year that somebody wants to plan the trip around? With England, it's best to come in the summer unless you love cold weather, because the inside joke amongst English people is, you know, we get we, we get one afternoon of sunshine a year and we're, we're quite happy, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but that said, because you can walk around Bath, even if it is light rain or it's heavy rain, you know, as long as you know where you're going, you're not kind of going to dawdle, you'll be fine, because it's just a little bit of rain. And there's still loads going on all year round. There's a couple of really good music venues that have great programs throughout the year. There's... Summer season, we have things like the Jane Austen Festival. There's Pub in the Park, which is a big kind of music and food festival. There's a Bulls Festival where people play bulls in one of the garden squares just outside the city centre. 
There's loads of literary festivals happening all the time. So there's loads going on all year round. Obviously, summer is the best point because the weather's good. There's lots happening. You can sit outside. You can sit in the Victoria Park, which is the big kind of park, which actually has an interesting history, actually. So that there's always stuff going on. It is a great place to live, a great place to come visit. And so, yeah, so I wouldn't say that there's definitely, you know, it gets quiet around kind of Christmas time because it doesn't, because at Christmas we have a wonderful Christmas market and there's lots going on. So, yeah, there's loads happening all around the year. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, I was I went on the, the VisiBath website. and Which is fantastic, isn't it? Yeah, they have so much information there, which is really good. I didn't see anything about the Christmas markets, but I did see, they call it Bath on Ice. So I guess there's, uh, or maybe that is kind of like the Christmas markets attached to that. But I guess that's November, December time frame. You get to, you get to go ice skating and all the, all the good stuff there. There's the Bath Carnival that's in July. There is, yeah, absolutely. And then for, like you mentioned, Jane Austen, the people that are really into her books, that happens in September. Absolutely, yeah. Then, you know, with Jane Austen, for example, there's a museum that's dedicated to her, which is absolutely fantastic. And that's open all year round. There's blue plaques. We have this blue plaque system in the UK. Some of these famous has lived there. You can apply to get a, a blue plaque placed outside. So where Jane Austen lived, there's now a blue plaque that says Jane Austen once lived here. I also learned that the Bath is a UNESCO Heritage World Site. Indeed, yeah. So there's so much history that, that's happening in, in the, the city that they just we're just gonna we're just gonna put a stamp on the whole city. There's, there's so much <laughs> so much to go on. Exactly, exactly. And then for people also, obviously Jane Austen is is a big author, you know, a lot of books, people are really interested in her books. I also found it interesting that, that uh, Mary Shelley was living in, in Bath when they were writing a lot of Frankenstein. And I guess there's a Frankenstein museum there as well. They call it the Mary Shelley's House of Frankenstein. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. I'm going to have to look that up. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. So I always love it when I can, when I can find something that the, that the guests didn't know about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yes, my research yes. worked. <laughs> so, so that's awesome. Let's talk about some of the other attractions that are there in Bath. I know you mentioned uh, the Royal Crescent and the Circus. So can you tell us a little bit what those are? Sure. So the Crescent is as the name dictates, a crescent-shaped form of, I believe, a hundred and something townhouses. I believe, yeah, I believe it's over hundreds. But what's remarkable about it is it was built by John Wood the Younger and John Wood the Elder. Well, he did thing. He did like a lot of London, lots, lots of Knightsbridge, lots of Queen's Park area, which is now like where historic London is. And so it was his son who came down to Bath and, and built the crescent, built the, the circus. And what's really, really interesting, obviously they didn't have any of the modern technology that we now rely on. So it's all it's all crafted by hand and crafted by, you know, just incredible experts. But he, he did a bit of a fudge, which I, I always find incredibly fascinating. He designed and built the facade and the road front. So you got this amazing cobble street in front, this amazing facade, and then he sold whatever people wanted. So even today, you've got townhouses that are, that are two townhouse lengths wide, and you have very large lateral apartments, whereas you have some townhouses that are more narrower. So it's a bit weird, you know, when you think of it like that. The way to kind of discover that, you know, is to either go look from behind or get in the balloon and go over the top, and you'll see actually from behind, the Royal Crescent is quite ugly because they didn't have, like, standardised planning laws when it was built or when he sold off. So people over the years have built what they wanted out from what he sold them. It's a really patchwork of different and interesting kind of constructions. 
That's fascinating. Yeah, it's it's almost like uh, here in the U.S. A lot of times we'd film like the the wild westerns, you know, movies and TV shows where they would have like the facade, and then on the backside it was like nothing really. It was it was just it was just the front. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I I always find that fascinating. And what's really really interesting is because it's a Royal Crescent, it backs onto Victoria Park, which is just this massive open green space, which is split into two halves. So on one half, it's just green space. The other half, it has a park, which is a great place. If you have children to go and play, it then has things like crazy golf, which is, I think, relatively cheap. You can then hire tennis courts right next to the crazy golf, uh, again, which is really affordable if you if you want to come and play tennis. So that's that whole kind of Victoria Park kind of area. It was named after Queen Victoria, who came through Bath, I, I think, in the 19th century when she was alive after Albert had died and didn't think much of the city. So she didn't actually even stop in the city. She just literally drove through it and thought, I'm not stopping here. I'm guessing the local council were quite a crestfallen because they spent all this money and effort naming a park after her, making the parks look beautiful, all of that stuff. But she was very nonplussed by it. So yeah, <laughs> it was. I, I, I love that story. So yeah, so then there's, there's a road between the Crescent and the Circus. And the Circus, as it dictates you know just a round set of four equal buildings that has a massive mound in the middle with a massive tree and again it's so inspiring because again built in the 18th century but with none of the modern technology that we have today and the craftsmanship is just absolutely obscene i believe nicholas cage used to own number four so there's a bit of gossip for you if you, if you can find number four <laughs> i think it was 15, 20 years ago when he went through his spending spree and bought up loads of things before going back up to Moon's Vegas. Well, he may have been looking for like the national treasure. You know, he was going through that movie phase, right? So maybe sure. he, was, he understood the history. Maybe he was trying to buy that one so that way he can find like the, the, the one specific clue that's going to lead to the next treasure. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so the circus is, again, it's absolutely incredible. Like I, I've lived here for over 30 years and I still, every time I walk into town or go into town, I have a spare five minutes. I will always walk up to the Crescent and to, to the circus just because to me, a bit of history and a bit of an architecture nerd, it's just the most fantastic thing to just stop and admire and remember all the blood, sweat and tears that went into making it look so fantastic and how two, three hundred years later, it still stood there and it still looks as incredible as it did in the 19th century, 18th century. Yeah. That's amazing. Now, one of the things that, that I found that's, really incredible about about bath is it uh like the bath abbey and the the story of of that can you tell us a little bit about that sure so i believe there's been a church there since the 600s and at one point they used to anoint and coronate the, the king there i believe that was the 13th and 14th century and so much of the liturgy of crowning a king actually comes from those initial ones that they did in Bath Abbey. So when the Queen Victoria got enthroned in 19, was it 56, I believe a lot of that ceremony and pomp and the rituals came from the 14th century from her great, 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 great grandfather, I guess. One thing I saw was that I guess that the very first King of England, King Edgar was actually crowned there in 973. So it's incredible that for over a thousand years, British royalty has been crowned in that Abbey. That's fascinating. Yeah. And what's really, really great about the Abbey is I think it's still, you can donate and you don't have to donate to go inside it, but obviously you can 
chuck a dollar or, or a pound into the, their kitty and you can walk in. It's like any abbey. It's just awe inspiring and it's just absolutely incredible. And the architecture and the sense of wonder is just absolutely amazing. But more than that, where it's located, so it's located literally opposite the Roman baths. And then behind the Roman baths and the abbey, you have a, the abbey square, which is absolutely incredible. But then you have lots of architecture and lots of statues around that whole area. Which again is just absolutely superb to look at and superb to you know just take a moment to to really think about that kind of thing and to you know consider life and consider you know the history. So from the square, you got Abbey Green, which is like a little green kind of square, which is cobbled, and so that that's quite quite cute and quite niche. So yes, yeah, so I, I always recommend that people go go visit the Abbey, go visit that, that little square. There's lots of cats around that area. And there's always musicians and artists and circus acts on display. You mentioned the Roman baths again there. We talked about them a little earlier. Where will we go for some of those baths? Because when I was looking on the website there for Visit Bath, they said that the city is actually known as like the original well-being destination because of, because of those baths. Correct. So there's two places you can go. So obviously you can't go and swim in the Roman baths. I believe up till about the 80s, they used to allow you to go and swim like once a year. And they, they realized at that point it was just quite toxic. Oh, sure. Yeah. So I, I always encourage people, go have a look at the bath. They do high tea in the pump room, which is like the room above the bath, which is black, white kind of tie. So it's very formal. It's very English. If you're a big kind of snobby fan like I am of that kind of thing, <laughs> absolutely fantastic. Go and do that. It's absolutely wonderful. They'll, they'll charge you the earth for it, but it's an experience, right? Sure. And then a short walk from from the Roman bus, you have the Thermos Bar, which I believe is five or six stories. And you've got different pools on different levels, including a rooftop pool, which just has the most in- incredible views across the city. I saw that one on the Visit Bath website. And it, it, it looks, I'm like, oh yeah, I, I definitely got to go hit the, the rooftop pool. That looks amazing. And it said that I guess it's the only natural thermal hot springs in the UK that you can bathe in. Exactly, yeah. And the, the, the thing to do, here's, here's the inside tip for you, is to always book tickets in advance because w- the further along the year you get, so like this kind of time, so we're, we're recording in kind of June, so June kind of time onwards, it starts to get touristy and so it starts to get lots of kind of people that want to go. And so I have walked past there on a Saturday and Sunday where there's been a queue around the block, which is obviously understandable. But obviously if you have a ticket, you can then you have to queue. So yeah, so I definitely recommend doing that. The other place, so opposite the, the thermos bar, is a hotel called the Gainsborough. And they have a spa and a gym down beneath in the basement. And they have two smaller immersion pools, I believe, heated by the hot spring water. But I think the only way you can access that is by staying at the hotel. Ah, uh, Okay. I don't think that hotel, you know, I know we'll talk about this in a second, but I don't think that hotel is demonstrably expensive. So if you don't have to queue to go to the thermos bar, you don't want to pay that sort of money, but you're willing to splash out a little bit more on the hotel, definitely go to the Gainsborough. It's four, maybe five stars, maybe five star. The facilities are incredible. It was rebuilt eight years ago. So it, it is a fantastic place to go, and I've been multiple times. So, yeah. That's awesome. So speaking of tea, uh, we only have a couple minutes. Let's talk about uh, some of the places where we should eat while we're there in Bath. Do you have any recommendations? Sure. 
there's loads of great places. So there's if, if you're looking for Mexican food, there's a place called Mission, Mission Burrito, which doesn't really have much seating inside or outside, but it's really efficient. They do obviously do burritos. They're on King Square, and opposite them, well, around the corner from them is a gelato place, which is you know just fantastic ice cream. Just off the circus, there's the circus restaurant, which is luckily run great food, great service, and they change the menu, I think, once a month. So if you went there a couple of times in a couple of weeks, the menu would probably be different. There's also Sally Lund's, which is the oldest house in Bath. She was famous for a type of bun. So with Sally Lund's, you don't have to book, you, have to, you can just turn up and they'll seat you. So obviously you might be waiting for half an hour, 45 minutes at certain times of the day. But at sometimes you, you can get in there and get out. And they also have a little museum that explains how the bun came to life. So it's really, really interesting. That's awesome. I saw something about, about Sally Lunn. And apparently her house is the oldest surviving house from 1482. And when they were doing some work on the house, they actually found artifacts like in her basement from the original Romans that like were, were there hundreds of years before. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's absolutely incredible. Yeah. And it it's a really, really great affordable place to, to go and eat as well. So yeah, yeah, highly recommend it. Well, AJ, I really appreciate you coming on the show with all these amazing tips from Bath. I I feel even worse now that I didn't get to explore the city when we were there, but now I gotta come back and, and spend a couple of days and, and explore everything around the, what's going on there. And you now have the perfect guys to show you around. How about that? Absolutely. But now it's time for the final countdown. If somebody only had time for one meal when they visited Bath, where should they go and what should they eat? I would go have a sunny lump bun and I would probably go for sweets because, you know, it's just absolutely incredible. Oh, fantastic. Now, you've obviously, like you said, you've lived in Bath most of your life. You've had some pretty amazing experiences, I'm sure. What's one of your most memorable? Oh, um, I think seeing the circus and the, the credit for the first time, just because of how, how incredible it is and how you know amazing it is. So, yeah, I think, I think that's. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Now, uh, speaking of good times and good memories, where's the happiest happy hour in Bath? So we have an Irish pub, which is very raucous. There's also loads of places to do afternoon tea. So if you're a bit more kind of formal like like me, there's loads of places to do afternoon tea, and that's really affordable. So there's the Priory, Francis Hotel, the Pump Rooms, those kind of places. So yeah, so there's loads of varieties, definitely. All right. Perfect. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's one of the things, if you go to England, you have to at least try afternoon tea at least once, right? Correct. And just, uh, just for clarification, I know like I, I did like an afternoon tea when I was there, uh, in London uh, back in August. And when you go for afternoon tea, it's not just tea, right? There's little snacks, there's tea, but there's also at least where I had it, it was like there's champagne and, and other drinks available as well. Right. Yeah, so you, you can have what's called a cream tea, which is scones and jam and cream and like a cup of tea. You can then have full afternoon tea, which is scones, cakes, sandwiches with tea. And then with either option, you can also have a glass of champagne or a glass of wine. But it was invented to, you know, to keep you kind of going at four o'clock if you're going to eat at, say, like seven or eight tonight. That was the purpose of having, but, it, you know, even now, there's still there's still a purpose behind it. So yeah, it's not just a, a cup of tea. Okay, perfect. All right. Well, one of the things I always do whenever I travel is check out the local pizza. What's the best place for pepperoni pizza in Bath? 
So there's a local chain called Doe, which has a place in Bath and a place in Bristol. And they just do the most incredible pizzas. And I've had, had their pizzas and it's, yeah, it's just absolutely fantastic. And that's where I recommend. Perfect. Now that I know about that, I, I can definitely come back because I can't go any place without pizza. No, you can't. <laughs> me neither. <laughs> <laughs> now, obviously, we've talked about you going to Monaco. Uh, you're obviously living in Bath. There's all these other places that you've traveled around the world. What's your best travel tip? I would say, you know, pack for versatility. So try and take as minimal amount of clothes that you can that you can match up into multiple different outfits because then you're always, you've always got enough. So for me, I like to take jeans, cotton trousers that are white because they work with everything. Those two options, a couple of shirts, a couple of polo shirts, a couple of blazers and a jacket. And that for me as a man, that kind of gives me more than enough to make probably 20 or 30 different outfits. So yeah, so another thing is to try and find someone local that you can pick their brains before or you know you can go stay with them for for a night or two and then pick their brains before you kind of venture out a lot of times there's different websites that uh for like expats in different areas or or whatever that you can you can connect with somebody that way like i know here in the u.s a lot of times people are afraid to travel to other countries because they're afraid they don't know the language they don't know how to get around obviously if you go to the uk you're driving on the you know the wrong side of the road you know those types of things right and it can be it can be a little intimidating for people right and so you know i encourage people to go beyond just like the expat communities but if you need that as like your entrance into that world then then go ahead and do that but then but don't be afraid to venture out and actually interact with the actual locals not just the expats who happen to, to to live there or stay there for a little bit yeah absolutely well, AJ, for the people that didn't listen to the earlier Monaco episode, can you tell the audience a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. So I, I encourage them to go listen to that episode because it was great. Um, I'm not saying that because it's me. <laughs> we, we have a great host. So yeah, so I'm an SEO coach and affiliate marketer based here in Bath. So I help some businesses build content that drives revenue and create customer loyalty. So yeah, that's me. Well, fantastic. If people have questions about SEO, about Bath, about Monaco, or just want to chat with you because they think you're a nice guy, what's the best way for them to reach you on social media? For sure. So I'm most active on Instagram. So it's A underscore J underscore Saunders. And I know you'll put it in the show notes. So yeah, but please reach out to me. I'm, I love hearing from people. So yeah. Perfect. Well, AJ, I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing all those amazing tips. It's been awesome to talk to you again. I can't wait to be able to hang out sometime soon, you know, and we look forward to seeing you when we travel there. Wonderful. Fantastic. What an awesome conversation with AJ. It was such a pleasure to have him back on the show to share his tips for his birthplace. You can find all the links we talked about today at wetravelthere.com forward slash bath. We want to say thank you to Awardwall for being today's affiliate partner. It's my favorite way to track airline miles, hotel points, and other loyalty programs. Go to wetravelthere.com forward slash award wallet to start your free account today. Join us next time as we visit Anchorage, Alaska to speak with my new friend Chris Lundgren, the author of Accidental Adventures Alaska. In this episode, we talk about four hours of darkness during the summer solstice, driving the Seaward Highway, and seeing moose in Kincaid Bark. Who will join us when we travel there. If you've enjoyed this podcast episode, please share it with your friends and tell me what you like most. Make sure you follow us on your favorite podcast app. That way you won't miss any of our upcoming destinations. 